What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Gen X movie show. Yes, we got another episode right here. Um, I kind of want to start this thing by talking about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. If you're like me and you enjoy wine, I'm having some right now. Unfortunately, it's not a Blanchard wine, but it's a, it's a very good one nonetheless. But if uh, their 2017 Cabernet, Cabernet was fantastic. Uh, it was harvested during a fire, so it actually kind of had a smoky tinge to it, and it was just mm, perfect. Um, but they have their own vineyards in Sonoma County. Uh, they shipped everything over here to Colorado. <laughs> They've got basically everything you need to... Uh, if you want to go downtown in the dairy block and just have a good time, socially distance, safe, everything you want right there. Uh, they are at bfwdenver.com if you want to book a virtual wine tasting. I have not done that yet, but I've been told that they are very, very popular. Uh, so uh, come in and get yours today. You may have to book far in advance. Um, they are also, you can go down, get your reservation, sit on a socially distanced table downtown, whatever you want. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazine, beautiful lower downtown, Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Uh, they're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanche Family Wines. They're at bfwdenver.com. If you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSU Podcast sent you there. Also, I'd like to tell you about my friend Andy Feinstein. Please support our friends at Exo Event Center, located in Denver's Rhino a uh, vibrant Rhino Arts District. Uh, if Exto Event Center can host safe socially distanced events for 25 to 175 persons outdoors and up to 100 persons indoors. If you are interested in hosting an event for a corporate gathering, fundraiser, client appreciation, birthday or anniversary party, or just basically a morale boosting happy hour, which face it, we all need right now, Exto would welcome the opportunity to be part of it. Please visit extoevents.com for more information and book your private event today. Okay. I just told you about that wine, and uh, I think I corked it when I opened it. Oh, darn. Oh, my God. Anyway, um, I got the crew with me today, uh, joining us from a planet far, far away, um, a virtual background that is made to simulate home, my friend Joe. Hello, Joe. How you doing? Hello, Marty. Also joining us from somewhere in the state of Colorado, uh, with a nice bat-winged entity behind him, uh, a man who has seen the damned more than any person I've, I've ever met. I'd like to present to you Magnus. Hello, Magnus. Uh, I've only seen them once live, but that's, I guess that's, still, <laughs> that's still more. <laughs> yeah. that's more I than was still. actually there. <laughs> <laughs> And also joining us somewhere in Colorado, it is uh, someone who uh, it's not, he doesn't live in New Mexico, but it feels like it based on where he lives in relation to me. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Mr. Pat, Pat Garrett, how are you, man? I'm great, sir. And more than you, that, if I'm in New Mexico, you're in Wyoming. Basically, you know? yes. <laughs> <laughs> there, that... Morty's in Alaska. What do you think? <laughs> Oh, gentlemen, oh, gentlemen, we uh, uh, tried to do a podcast last week and it didn't work, um, but we <laughs> are, well, I mean, look, it was, it was, it was a good time, but it, we're, we're going to do better on this one. And then we have a subject this time. It's called, is rock dead, which yeah. I think it's kind of a fertile uh, ground. Yes, etiquette this week. Yes, actually. yes. Well, no one knows about your lack of etiquette last week. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up, but <laughs> <I guess. laughs> um, so, gentlemen, we're talking. About, yeah, we're talking about you know a a a a subject that which is like kind of close to us because we grew up in a generation that really embraced quote unquote rock music, whatever you define it as. Uh, it was mm -hmm. the music of our uh, generation. So. Uh, Let's start. Uh, let's start with you, Pat. When you think about the decline and death of rock, or just actually before going into there, what is your definition of what would be called rock music? Uh, is that do you have a personal definition of what you conceive that to be? I mean, that's a great question, and it's uh, really the question we have to answer first before we even talk about the death or if it is dead or, or how it died. Um, you know, I think rock and roll is one of those things that uh, you know it when you see it. 
and there are country artists or artists that might be more in the bluegrass realm that can definitely rock and can play songs that are rock and roll. Um, mm-hmm. But I think to be a rock band, you know, you have to have a heavy electric guitar and, you know, the drums and, and you know, it's a band of, uh, of guys that are, you know, singing loud and, you know, blowing your hair back. Uh, and so I think that, um, in combination with that it's it's sort of like subversive to maybe what's in the world of pop or just pop culture um and we get that from the rock you know of the of the 60s and the 70s where um it was sort of uh you know <clears throat> uh, alternative it was alternative to what the mainstream was looking at for music yeah. and uh, ironically if you go back and look at those bands that they called rock um like the Beatles and such, they sound nothing like the rock that like I associate with rock, you know, of the, of the big loud bands playing uh, that's like, you know, stadium rock. shows. Say that again. That's because the Beatles is not rock. I think he had right. But at the time it was considered rock, at which is my point. Were, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I think you hit on a great thing. And, and, and I think when I was thinking about my own definition of it, it's something that's guitar driven, I guess, is, is maybe the core of it. Uh, Joe, is that would that be your definition of of rock music? Joe, you're freezing up on me now. You're freezing up on me now. It's weird, but I was freezing up before, and you... and Joe, uh, sorry about the technical difficulties there. We um, would you define rock music as basically anything that's guitar driven? No, not necessarily, because I mean, um, you know, obviously like Gordon Lightfoot, he plays the guitar. I'd never consider anything Gordon Lightfoot ever to be rock and roll, you know. <laughs> oh, no, the ghosts of Cape Horn really I love Gordon. It, it does. And it, I mean, as far as whistling songs, I mean, nothing is better than that song. Um, and I love Gordon Lightfoot, don't get me wrong, but and not just guitar driven, it's like an attitude. Because I, I was thinking about that too, like rock and roll will never die. You know, like, it's just too good. It's too primal. It's too you know it's yeah it's just too good it's like brian johnson said you know uh, it ain't noise pollution it'll never die you know yeah. Yeah. uh well actually bond scott wrote it and brian johnson said it i want to get technical but but uh, anyways you know it's it's too good you know ironically but, uh, i think uh half of brian johnson's band is now dead i don't know if we can comment on that irony this is true just, uh just acdc in general <laughs> i'm just yeah i'm just kidding yeah well oh, so like Malcolm Malcolm Young is dead. Um, yep. Did one of the one other musician die in that band too? I want to say. Could I could be wrong though? Was it? He, he wasn't talking about his previous band called Jordy. I, I don't think. Well, I don't know. Most they, people. That is, yeah. So it's, yeah, that's yeah. Very, very very true. Uh, Magnus, <laughs> Magnus, what do you what? It, it, let's start with your definition of of what you conceive rock to be because i think that i think that there is a we need to before we get into the the death of something when you got to kind of define what we think it is yeah i think my definitions are uh twofold there's the sonic component and then there's the emotional component mm-hmm. Sonic yeah. sonically i don't think you can argue that it is a bass drums and amplified guitar sound yeah and mm-hmm. then the 1950s so that's sonically that's the base and that's been remarkably consistent throughout the whole history of rock and roll is that base <clears throat> of the sonic element of it emotionally i think the key component is rebellion um oh yeah uh you know uh, skepticism to authority and social norms which of course is what made it so revolutionary and it's that sort of rebellious nature that pushed bands like the Beatles and Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin to expand the sonic element of it. So I think those two components go hand in hand. Um, but I think those two, you know, pretty much run through the whole history of rock and roll. Now, as to whether it's dead, I would argue that it is dead in one sense. However, having said that, let me just read a list of, of rock albums that have come out just this last summer. These are yeah. just bands that follow. Morrissey, Joe Satriani, Bob mm-hmm. Dylan, <laughs> Birthday Massacre. We have a Bruce Springsteen album coming out. We have a Smashing Pumpkins album coming out. The Killers is a rock and roll band. They had a new album a couple of weeks ago. I mean, the summer has been filled with new rock and roll, 
yeah, mm-hmm. artists, and yet um, none of them feel like a big deal. And maybe that's why you have a feeling that rock is dead, is because in in times past, any one of those artists' new album would have been the talk of yeah. the industry, talk of yeah. uh, you know the music uh, loving landscape. And now it's like no one talks about any of those artists really anymore. Well, mm-hmm. I think I think around two thousand four to about two thousand six, there was a a revival, and the Killers were part of that, of of a rock ish kind of element. The Strokes, uh, the Hives, mm-hmm. and bands like that, kind of garagey, punky bands, and then the Killers. Ferdinand. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and the. And the Killers were more on the uh, were influenced by the Smiths side of it, right? Eighties, um, eighties rock and roll, eighties yeah. pop rock kind of sound. But there is more of that because I remember I saw uh, uh, Morrissey at the Fillmore in two thousand seven, and it was about three quarters full. And I remember thinking at the time. Man, the, the feel of this is different. Um, and, and I think even by 2007, <clears throat> even though album sales have been declining since about 1990, the late 1990s, the... When I stopped buying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know. I, you really never is. bought it in your life. What do you think? How dare you? <laughs> but... It's, it, you noticed that there was that revival and then it kind of, by 2007, it was really declining again. And I don't necessarily think that it's dead and I would never describe it as dead, but I would mm. say that maybe people aren't into that kind of rebellion anymore. And yeah. maybe it's shifted to an older demographic such as people like us or people yeah. older than us who maybe attach feelings of nostalgia to... Uh, well, the thing about it too is like there is no record buying public anymore. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like everybody has like an uh, an iMusic account or a Spotify account or something like that. It's not like there's a certain percentage of the population that's really buying albums versus like because like you know when rock and roll was at its at its heyday, it was kids. It was you know it was like teenage kids buying buying records. Yeah, but it was also radio and radio, radio, and radio is how. Been, yeah you heard about those things there were classic rock stations that you would listen to and hear all this classic rock and then they'd be like mm-hmm. oh there's a new album out from whomever or oh this band has come along and and yeah. there was actually in those days there was like pop rock and some mm-hmm. rock would fully transfer over into pop music and by extension into pop culture but then yeah. you kind of started seeing hip-hop replace that yeah. and then you you know you it moved on in you know edm and these other sorts of more trendy um, new styles of music that were being consumed in new ways, digitally and subscription-based and streaming. Yeah. So there wasn't like a clearinghouse for rock and roll to exist. And Magnus, all those, many of those bands that you listed that are like still playing rock and roll were playing rock and roll, you know, 25 and 30, 40 years ago. And so the, the, the way to break through as a rock artist now is different. Um, oh, yeah. And as a result, you see the rise of indie rock. You see certain elements of like what was like, even folk or Americana type genres moving fully into like those sonic sounds and even lyric lyrical rebellion that you're talking about with rock and roll, but you're not hearing it um, on the radio and people aren't listening to the radio. So I think that's a huge influence on the, the status of rock. Now you can still find awesome rock and roll. You can still go, you know, when concerts are fully scheduled and and, uh, happening, you can go to a rock show as we did Mm -hmm. not long ago. uh, Magnus. Yeah. (laughs) True. It's true. I think it's normal. It'll be again. Yeah. How much do you guys I think? If that, Go ahead. I was just going to say, I wonder if that rebellion um, instinct moved into hip hop and rap, you know, starting maybe the late that 80s. That's where that. Certainly the cultural put, pushback aspect of it that, you know, Bob Dylan talked about in that Medium article, um, where when there's like friction in uh, society and such, rock adopted that and flourished with it. And you definitely see that happening much more prevalently in, uh, in modern hip hop. Let me throw you out. Oh, yeah. Big time. Let me, let me get, throw you guys out a hot take, though, because I, rap became safe in the late 90s. It became uh, suburban white kid music in the late uh, 90s. Uh, yeah. 
it, yeah, it's true. really it really when it was basically when Eminem broke out, um, they became uh, rap music became pasteurized because in the if you guys remember in the in the <laughs> uh, right right up to about 1995 96, it was hardcore gangster rap you know and that's really what was uh out there Early. there was yeah. a lot of pop there was a lot of pop rap in the 80s though yes there, there was, was a lot of like you know good you know like dmc were very you know like you, your, your mom went, might like run dmc you know or like a couple songs <laughs> DMC, you know? exactly that's a great point you know? and i think and i think yeah. what people mistake is a sense of rebellion in a genre that has been uh taken was taken over by corporate you know, oh yeah, big corporate wit- big wigs long before uh, it became the most prevalent thing. And you know, and, and in the YouTube podcast that I did with Magnus and and Pat, we talked about I talked about that line, "The last of the rock stars <laughs> when hip hop drove the big cars." Right? I, who know well, who knew that line would be even more true twenty years later? Right? And what really, that from? <clears throat> that's kite from uh, all kite. the can't leave, right? Yeah. Is that on Kite? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And it's on All You Can't Leave Behind. And it's like, it's 20 years ago, which the, I, mm-hmm. I, I sent you, probably sent you guys this, the 20th anniversary of that uh, edition of that album's coming out. It's like this big oh. vinyl collection, right? I um, will never buy an any anniversary of any album ever. No. Like, well, because <laughs> it, who has the money to spend on that? Please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I already know like, all those songs. It's not like yeah. new music is coming with it. I'll pay top dollar for new music. But what if new music does come with it? Like like the Octane Baby uh, anniversary had like tons of. Uh, like, I've heard. I've heard, every, I've heard everything that exists by them. But a lot of times they'll put stuff like like take five with a false ending on it. You know, it's like who cares yeah. about? It? I don't need yeah. to. Hear, I, you know. Well, we can we can go into that because uh, Magnus and I have a have a band that we both adore, uh, Led Zeppelin, who released. A whole, they re-released all of their studio albums with a bunch of yeah. outtakes. Oh, that's right. I did see that. And, so, and most of them, 90% of them were complete crap. I mean. I'm sure. Like and, Jimmy in the bathroom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, when you start redoing stuff like that, that's really what people maybe contributes to the perception that rock is dead. Because you're, you're like, how many times is Jimmy Page <laughs> going to remaster the Led Zeppelin catalog? I can't oh, take God. it. I know that's the norm. You know, and 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 that's where we're at. But uh, Matt, you hit on something that, or uh, uh, Magnus, you hit on something that I think we. Who? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> shut up. Anyway, uh, you hit on something that I think we need to talk about, which is the lack of rebellion. Because yeah, I, I no rebellion to glom onto anymore, right? Well, first of all, kids these days are conformists. They're all smeared out emotionally and stylistically because of the internet. You know, back wow. even even 20 or 30 years ago, you could go to a school and see different types of kids listening to different music, dressed differently. And now everyone dresses the same. Everyone listens to the same sort of smoothed over, generically uh, not threatening pop music or hip hop Um but I think you can't disconnect rock and roll from its origins in the 50s. You know, the post-war conformity, uh, Eisenhower era, suburban growth, everyone looked the same, <laughs> and roll grew out of a, a reaction against that. Yeah, totally. This, yeah. Uh, but kids were hungry for rebellion back then. They didn't want to all look the same and act the same and think the same. Yeah. Well, I also think- consider the generational gap there where it's like now kids a lot of times that listen to that music that you just described Magnus, their parents listen to that same music that's true. There's no like pushback like oh i don't want to hear this music you know a lot of that would be like maybe people our age that would that appreciate these bands that are of rock music but if we try to share that with our children like their exposure to that will only be in that context it will be minimal yeah as opposed like, to all their friends who hear everything in go ahead joe i was gonna say your dad's a great example of that like most of your music, and actually my parents too. Like our mus- our musical tastes, a lot of them came from our parents. For you sure. know. Well, yeah, yeah, my dad too. I mean, uh, yeah, and an appreciation too. for music as like a form of art that you can be a hobby of yours. You know, I mean, 
I'm not just joking around that I've heard almost everything that U2 has ever made. It's because like we would go to every store in the world and buy the imports and get the, mm -hmm. um, the all buy all the singles that had the B sides and all that. Okay. So it's like, you know, there was a yeah. great exposure to that. Now it's like if, you know, Common puts out a new song, every kid uh -oh. can get it right now and hear all the outtakes and then all the, tr you know, the covers of it and everything instantly without any effort. And their parents probably heard it too on a PowerPoint, you know, at their corporate retreat. Well, how much of this, the immediacy and availability and the convenience of it kind of eliminating the uh, kind of contributing, I guess, to the conformity of it? Because honestly, I remember having to search for things that I enjoyed <clears throat> big time. I'll never forget the horror yeah. on, uh, on, I think it was Joe, it may have been your, your face or some, another friend. When I went to this place to buy my house when I, I lived in Junction 20 something years ago, and uh, I was, they had a selection of bootlegs and I bought the worst sounding Led Zeppelin bootleg there ever was, right? It was just, they were like, a, a madness, I think you remember this. It was like, it was like in North Carolina somewhere and it was terrible. It was like some guy put a recorder in his pocket and he, and he was yeah. recording the thing. You remember you that, Joe? I talk, yes. like, this song's awesome. Yes. I'm going to go. I want to go, I got to go to the bathroom, man. Like, that's like, <laughs> yeah. all, like the whole time. But that's how music obsessive I was. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that I had to search for this shit. And I wonder if the immediacy of it, and, and uh, Magnus, you can comment on this. The um, apps absolutely, like, right, have to have it now. Um, immediacy of getting m music kind of hinders the rebellion aspect of it. I think there's probably something to that. I mean, there's nothing like seeing live rock and roll. Mm -hmm. And a part of that is the immediacy of it. And every show is unique. Every live performance is unique. But mm -hmm. when you can go on YouTube and see any performance from any band you want in the comfort yeah. of your home, it does. it is, I think, a disincentive to seek out those unique moments or to create those unique moments. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm wrong. I mean, we all go to live music when we could still. So it's not like that's dead, but well, um, yeah, go ahead, Pat. I know you have a lot of thoughts on this. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree largely with what you're saying, but I think that within the realm of like bands that you love or artists that you really appreciate, your access to all their music is far greater than it ever was. You know, there was a time when it's like, I remember I discovered you two like later on, I was a little bit younger. So I was like in the, in the 90s um, and I'd been introduced to them. And so I buy like a, a current album. Um, I think it was... Uh, it was, I think it was, I had an, another album before Octung Baby, and then I bought Octung Baby. These were all released, and then I went backwards and, like, found all of their other albums, but then that was it, you know? Whereas now, it's like, if you love an artist, you can find their music um, deep in the recesses of YouTube. You can see them playing at shows with other people. I'm, I'm stunned sometimes at the artists that I really love and really search out, that they end up, like, having a duet on stage in, you know, uh, the village in New York City with, like, a that I really love and oh, yeah. uh, you know that would be lost to time and nowadays too it's like there are artists that do live streams with some irregularity you see them trying out new songs you see them collaborating with people that you've never maybe heard of and then are introduced to them or the work that they do as an instrumentalist in, the, in bands or producers or whatever so I think that a lot of art now suffers from its ubiquity and, and its easy access you see that in movies um and i think that you certainly see the music but if you love any of those things you can still find like the the gems that you searched out in the bootleg section you can and they're more, and you connect to them sort of more personally they're more current they're maybe even happening live and then when you see them at shows you feel like more connected to the band and the music and so I think that for a person who loves music, like if you ever were to pick a time to be alive and how you could access it, you would pick now because, you know, everything is available. All you have to do is find it. And it's still a journey, not dissimilar from marching down to the record store and searching through the stacks um, when it is like deep diving into Reddit and message boards and Twitter and, um, and YouTube and places like that. You know, I wonder if you haven't hit on something, Pat, you know, sh surely it's the case that never has been music, music been more available or more omnipresent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and yet it seems to mean less to people and to young people than it used to. Well, it's also more people 
anymore. It just doesn't make a lot of sense, you know? Like, well, I mean, and I think that's also just a fact of getting older, as we all have, too. Like, we are becoming those guys who are like, I don't get kids these days, you know, well, to a certain well, degree. It's, it's like jazz, you know? I mean, jazz was like, you know, what everybody was, like, moved to listen to and was affected by for, you know, a generation. It was It's, it's cultural imprint is, like, well-documented. But mm. nobody that we know is, like, listening to jazz. So is jazz dead? But the people that love jazz, they're deep diving into the new guys that are doing covers of classics and they're doing their own thing and you know making yeah. sounds they've never heard before and they're falling all over themselves for that what? and that's the thing is this niche yeah. music aspect of it is the is the treasure trove of all the the sort of ills that we're discussing about the broader music industry if you like a band you can have a more personal relationship with them yeah. whether yeah. it's like i was saying a jazz musician or something that never has anyone heard of unless you're really into jazz or if it's like you know, in an indie band or, you know, like a kind of an, uh, an Americana type band or something. I mean, they can connect with you as the rock and roll that you're searching for, but you have to kind of like dive into that niche in order to, to find it. Well, I guess I'm all these things adjacent to it. Well, what, what, I guess I'm a Catholic and not a Protestant. I don't want a personal connection with my music. I don't want them to be unattainable gods, <laughs> you know? They're yeah, I, I, I want to have to have an intermediary <laughs> to communicate with. The, you know, <laughs> the well, but but you're not wrong, Matt, because oh, Magnus, because that's part of the the, the, the allure, right? You know, and, and also, uh, Pat, what kind of pet store listens to hot jazz music at two a.m.? That's what I want to know. Um, <laughs> Just uh, the, the coolest pet stores <laughs> in the world. Yes, but. You know my pet policy. Yes, uh, those of you listening out there will get the Simpsons reference. But I, I think that when I approach this, and 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 Joe, I really want you to you to kind of um, talk about this angle, is that yeah. I can't think about my music without thinking about you guys. Yeah, it just is it burned into my brain, and I think when I there are uh, I listened to there was a. The I listened to the Fountain of Selmicus, Joe. Oh Joe. wow, that's it. Yeah, nobody will know. <laughs> and I was like, I, yeah. and it just made me think of driving in your uh, Dodge Neon. Neon. And, yeah. And listening. Well, it, it was actually a Plymouth Neon. Plymouth. That's yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. And listening to uh, uh, that uh, nursery crime, and I'm thinking that it just it's burned into my brain, and I can't. Or listener that. Peter Gabriel era Genesis, if mm. anyone. And I know a lot of people will be out there will go, wait, who's Peter Gabriel? That might be one answer, one, one question. <laughs> oh, uh, two, they? and then another one might be, Peter Gabriel was in Genesis? And yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Layers, very there's layers stuff. to this, Joe, yes. There are layers. Joe yeah. knows his audience. Yes, he does. Yes, if any. <laughs> there, probably, there probably isn't an audience, but you know, just in case. Yeah, we need to, we need but, to prepare. Yeah. Do you guys all think of it? I mean, do you guys all have the same same kind of memory oh, yeah. attachment to it, right? Well, it was our There's formative no... years, man. That's like we spent our formative years listening to this music, you know? I mean, around each other. To any generation and the, mm. your favorite movie and your favorite us music and your favorite, you know, like sports memory or like whatever are all from those like you know, 13 to 21 years old, oh, you know, really yeah. concentrated in those teen years. And so the nostalgia factor of music is the only reason that old middle-aged people like us can get together and lament how music has changed since yes. our glory days and that it was never better. You know, yeah. there were there were people that we were growing up with that was talking about how disco was like the greatest music ever, you know, because there was 17 and yeah. 1977. Yeah. Um, and so the nostalgia factor is undeniable and, and it still exists today. I mean, there are kids that grew up, you know, listening to, uh, you know, there are kids that are growing up listening to Taylor Swift and, um, you know, whomever is dominating these, the pop charts and yeah, they stuff that always associate those songs with them. I lived. I'm glad I lived when I lived that Taylor Swift, Swift will never be a positive memory in my life. That's, I like that. You know. Yeah, but there, there was, there were Taylor Swifts of our time too. Yes, there oh, was, and there were people out. from that generation that loved them and still do today. Yes, they yeah. Disparaging Taylor Swift—that's what Joe's doing. I'm talking about oh, yeah. the current music that maybe we don't have any connection to is like deeply embedded in a similar way. That anything um, disparaging you know, it, I'm, I'm, I'm because I'm old, and you know, I do that. 
I see. <laughs> I wonder if the, the true sign of something dying is not whether it's still around, but how many young people go into it. I mean, if you go into a lot of churches these days, it's not that there's no one there. It's just that everyone there is, is older. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And like, are young people, do young people dream about starting rock bands? Do they dream about being rock stars like they sure. did? I don't know I mean, if that's I, true. I do yeah. know, you know, like late teenage kids that, um, you know, learned how to play guitar and were in rock bands and loved it. And they would play covers, you know, in the garage of bands that and rock songs that we know. I think that's still alive. I think there's still mm-hmm. an attraction to it. But I think that people come to it, you know, in a different way. I mean, it would have been a yeah. lot sort of easier to break through in sort of, you know, the mid 60s when they're hosting, you know, music festivals with 50 bands playing, some of which you never heard of. And so you get some blowhards together in a VW <laughs> bus and head on out and go play a couple of songs. And, you know, you're in a rock band and it's almost by accident. Where now it's like, you know, you can put a band together and you get to play your uh, high school prom and everything was, that was everything you ever wanted. And then you go off to college and get a job. But it's like account. a Viagra commercial at this point, you know, where it's like the <laughs> cool older guy, you know, yeah. He's cool with his buddies playing guitar, <laughs> smoking cigars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to bring something up. And, and I, I, I think that we are kind of honing in on where I think we, we, we're all kind of of the same kind of say, philosophy. On I don't this. own it in anything. That's not been my impression at all. I think oh. this is a what hodgepodge of crazy craziness. <laughs> Listen, uh, yeah, this, is, this is not like old man, you know, Higginbotham shaking his, you know, stick at people. This is a. Timely. <laughs> this yeah. is this old Higginbotham. Yes. This is a discussion of people who are very got very similar mindsets, but mm-hmm. I, I, Joe, I kind of you more than anyone, and and I we I hit on this last time, and I, but I think I want to bring what we were talking about with you two at the time. This kind of extends into this conversation of is Rock Dead. Um, your mm-hmm. visceral, almost visceral reaction to you two uh, around circa 2005. Oh, yeah, yeah. After uh, Atomic Bomb came out and your absolute rejection of everything they did going forward had a lot to do with what you felt was them branching out into areas that they didn't need to. And a lot of that, from my opinion, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, was was you felt they were pandering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did talk about that. you and I recently um, that the problem was that I don't know. I, I call it YouTube before the fall. I have a playlist. I had actually a playlist that was actually called that. It was basically, oh, wow. it, 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 uh, there was a couple songs from atomic bomb on, but nothing after. Yeah. It was the whole, it is the whole pandering thing. I mean, cause Bono is more interested in trying to save the world than he is with, you know, making music and, you know, he like, seemed to care what Oprah thought of him, you know, and like doing du- duets with artists that are just not necessarily horrible artists. Well, yeah, they're pretty horrible artists, honestly. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, you know, it's like, or at least I they mean, don't fit, they don't fit with you too, you know. Yeah, Something I don't like know about that. I mean, not to rehash this whole this entire discussion, yes. but you too is like, they be they wanted to become the biggest rock band in the world and become successful. And then when they did it, everybody's like, oh, these assholes, you know, yeah. they're so, they're successful. They're doing yeah. Apple commercials and they're on my phone and I didn't ask for it. And, you know, Mary J. Blige is doing a duet with them or they're singing with Green Day or like whatever. That's what kept yeah. them. And like, we're complaining about rock and roll not being present at all in like pop culture. I mean, they were playing the Super Bowl oh, because of those reasons, you know, their songs. And playing their you know, own instrument, which almost never happens at the Super Bowl. So props for there too. You know, well, sure. Think credit where credit is due, Joe. Yeah, I exactly. you say some positive <laughs> yeah. things, but yeah. you know, I mean, the thing is, is like you could have these arguments about you know Springsteen putting out you know very indulgent sort of concepty type albums in the 2000s or you know bob dylan doing albums of like old covers and things like that like you uh-huh. know the alternative is you don't hear shit from these people and they're gone forever and they're dead or or they hate each other and so that's <laughs> the end of it or at least you're, there's still a beating pulse of a band that we grew up and loved you know that's a good, that's a good counterpoint to what i mean i'm still right but i like what you're saying too <laughs> You are a piece of work, my friend. <laughs> no, I actually really do. I get that point of view. That is actually very true. 
I, I think from from my point of view, you all those points are are good as as always, Pat. But I think anytime going back to the rebellious instinct of rock and roll, anytime you have a a rock and roll band partnering with world leaders, president, prime minister, mm. really sucks that primal thing from rock and roll out. Whether whether it's a good cause or not, whether they're doing good things or not, I think. You know, a good rule of thumb is only one rock and roll persona is allowed to hobnob with the president. And that is when Elvis got his DEA license <laughs> from Nixon. Garbage. <laughs> if, it's, if it's good enough for Elvis, then it's good enough for Obama. Yeah, but okay? Elvis, I don't want to Elvis was shit. in the Oval Office getting a DEA <laughs> while high. That is yeah, rock and roll. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's Meeting amazing. Square president in U.S. history. You know, like was when it, you think of like most square possible president, it is Richard Nixon. Well, it was, yeah. uh, I, I believe uh, Grace Slick had a story about going to the White House and trying to dose Richard Nixon with some oh, really? And uh, that was, but anyway, but that's some of that rebellion there. But that's it's some the of the politicians that, yeah. that have made the change more than the rock stars. All of a sudden, the politicians sure. wanted to be, be rock stars and celebrities, mm. not oh, yeah. old stodgy bureaucrats like Nixon. You know, I mean, all of the modern presidents in the past 15, you know, or 25 years, it's yeah, been about, right. you know, appearing on Letterman or Arsenio yeah. or, you know, Jay Leno or whatever. And it's like the crossover into popular culture is like very yeah. clear. And, I read uh, somewhere that Tony Blair loved uh, Free was his favorite band growing up. He wanted to be, I think he was a musician, you know, our former, former British prime minister, Tony Blair was actually a musician at one point. Or he went well, into he's, tr he's trash, so I don't want to hear it. Yeah, that, that guy, screw that guy. But but like but, Bill but let's not disparage Free due to association. Free was a great brand. <laughs> they were <laughs> half a bad company, man. You can't go wrong. Come I'm not on. familiar with their work. We're gonna have to move on. The song "All Right." They <laughs> well, do that a lot. Uh, another thing I wonder: Are there scenes anymore? You know, there used to be scenes that would spring up organically in different cities, like you, like just. There's a random example for a long time in the 90s, the Tampa Bay area was like a hotbed of like yeah. death. Ebor City. And black. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's like, are there scenes like that anymore? Yes, I mean, look at concerts. I mean, look at festivals. I think some of the scenes have moved more into like accommodating a more affluent crowd than just like you're sort of hitchhiking to Woodstock types, but um, yeah. I think that live music and the way that it's presented in, throughout this country in small towns um, and, and big cities alike do have a scene. And I think even if you go into some of the, you know, whatever the average secondary American cities, you know, you go into their, uh, their independent theaters uh, and concert venues and you'll see, you know, a group of people that are you know, committed to a certain style of music or considered mm -hmm. committed to the live music scene in that city. And I see that a lot when I go out, especially in the like, smaller venues. I love stuff like that too. I don't know if you guys have read, have you ever read uh, Our Band Could Be Your Life? Yes. It's about the 80s underground. Mm -hmm. uh, early 80s it starts with like Black Flag and I think it goes all the way through. The Replacements was my favorite chapter. They talk about the replacements in yeah. Minneapolis in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, it made me think of, yeah, it just made me think of that. Matt's question did. Well, if you say Minneapolis, you can find tons of like super influential people in different genres of music that started in Minneapolis. And the same yeah. is true in like, you know, in, in some, in like, you know, to some towns in Iowa, there's like, if you're into a certain yeah. scene of music, you're like, oh, I know this guy, this guy, this guy, you know, this person played with them. And it kind of expands on out and creates that. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times circle the back. Crappier the crappier the town. Joe. The crappier the town is, the more likely it has a good music scene because, like, people are so disenfranchised otherwise living in this place. Like, Detroit always had a really great music scene. Yeah. And Detroit's, like, worst cities in the United States. I mean, as far as, like, you know... Um, it's not even bottom five. Or, yeah, it's like, south. broke, you know? What? <laughs> Pat, Pat was disparaging um, the South. It's fine. With our our <laughs> listeners are located in either Europe or uh, or Colorado, so you're you're safe here, man. <laughs> um, but you know, I was thinking about a lot of my own perception of of music because I work at well, quote unquote, work in a in a business where there's a lot of hip hop in it, and I just can't stand it, and it's never glommed on to me. I I can't I I it's not part you like of the classic. Me. 
Well, yeah, and it'd be yeah, good stuff. But I mean, it's like I, but it, d- it hasn't penetrated my brain. It's not part of my ovure, yeah. you know. And I, yeah. I, I think I generally don't say words like ovure. Yes, it's just no. I mean, <laughs> it's a very sophisticated audience. Joe. Yes, yeah, <laughs> but in a lot of that, in a in a big portion of that, is that do you reach a certain point and this is for all of you and uh joe we'll start with you do you reach a certain point to where penetration of new styles of music stops where you stop absorbing new styles of music and you just go with what you're used to i don't know that's a good question actually because uh no thank you i I actively try i actively try to hear um different kinds of things but certain, but certain types of music is, have, have just, I've always hated them. You know, like music, like a lot of Indian music, you know, the, like the tabla and the sitar, I can't stand that crap, man. It just sounds like, I don't understand how it's even music, you know, like it's just weird no, sounds. No one's listening together. to us in India. Yeah. That's just fine. No, yeah, yeah. But, oh, you know, no. They were. I'm sorry, but you know, uh, sorry. It just you yeah, know, no, it doesn't fine. sound like music. Yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know. But, but for the most part, certain genres probably are more or less closed off to me but i say that about stuff but then certain genres that i liked like jazz i listened to jazz like a lot and like as like you're the guy you know as a kid you know like or as high school i never listened to jazz at all you know like it wasn't even like on my i can't really i can't say that anything is as off limits you know like i'll i may go back and and love something else here in 20 years you know i may be the biggest wu-tang fan in the world in my (laughs) 70s you know that could be a thing. I could totally see that happening. Oh, Joe's listening to Wu Tang again. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> they are, but I mean, I could even like them even more if that's possible yeah. in my seventy. Yeah. You know, Pat, what do you think? <laughs> um, I think that uh, this, this all fits kind of into what I've been saying. Like, uh, I grew up detesting country music because I was yeah. surrounded by it, and it was all largely trash and as a result i threw all of it away you know and then anything that like approached it whatever and whatnot i didn't have any like appreciation for and it wasn't until later when i saw people that were like influenced more by country music but weren't that mainstream country but i'm like oh you know this has some value and then i actually mm-hmm. saw those artists move farther away from it as they progressed in their career and so if i had just been like oh that was on you know the country station that style you know 20 years ago i don't want to hear that at all and i would have like deprived myself of some like really fantastic music in a lot of ways and i think that those nuanced areas between the genres you know it's like from folk to you know bluegrass to country like those are all unique styles of music but there are certain people that put elements that are like redeemable from each of those together <laughs> into some really unique and fantastic sounds, um, you know, and, and writing some fantastic lyrics with great melodies and things like that. And now are like some of the songs that I love the most. So I think that um, yeah. you can get really pinned down in genre and it's dangerous. Uh, you know, I'll give you a, the, the, an example I've been saying a lot recently is like um, Elton John. Um, when I was growing up, you know, to identify my generation he was like singing candle in the wind and disney soundtracks and i was like this guy's a nut i don't have any appreciation <laughs> for anything that he's doing i know that you were always pro him joe but i didn't accept that yeah. even from my peers but then like now when i watch rocket man and when i go back and, and think about like okay what this guy was doing to music in the 1970s and the way in which it came together with such sort of like magic and bernie taupin and that the whole thing yeah i'm like wow i really like had a blind spot to a fantastic representation of music an artist in music for a long time because of how i saw them in my own sort of nostalgic formative years oh for sure yeah see i was exposed to elton john because of my parents and that was all right. i was it was was their old stuff was his old stuff you know i yeah i was barely aware of the current stuff <laughs> Magnus? i had a lot of country music going on around me and that's so i was rejecting it and <laughs> no one was I, showing me Elton John. I think, you know? I, think, I, think Mag- <laughs> I think Magnus had a similar experience to you uh, as far as the country music thing goes, right? Right, Magnus? Yeah. No, I'm still not a fan. Well, I know, no, but I mean, I mean, you were exposed to a lot of it when you were growing up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's the irony. I, I was listening to you, Pat, and I think the irony is, is that in order to survive, something has to absorb elements from other things, whether it's other genres or influences. And yet yeah. those influences dilute it. And yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like evolution, right? I mean, 
an entity now is a is an amalgam of all the influences and pressures of all the millions of years of evolution, um, which means it's a yeah. different thing, even though there's a continuum there. But then out of that evolution, things emerge that are like specific to you. Like if I was to say like, oh, these are my three favorite um, artists to listen to. And these are my three favorite songs. You might be like, what the fuck is this? I don't know where this comes from. I've never heard of it before. I've never heard of these bands. But like through that attrition over time and that evolution, like I was able to like find these things that were in a range that was like very specific to my taste and mm -hmm. that I embraced. And so I think that like that's the, the, the flip side to what you're saying, which is that it's evolved in the point where it's unrecognizable. And I think that when you're talking about, you know, things in the mainstream, that's absolutely true. But there's also these things that are in the margins as music is easier to produce and make available. And people are taking influences from a broader spectrum that put out material that is, you know, in my example here is like magical to me. Mm. Well, and, that's, and that's always been the case. I mean, what did Elvis do yeah. except take some blues licks uh, and a country twang <laughs> uh, and put a backbeat to it and there's rock and roll. And it's really like a bunch of different things going on that looks new. You know? There's yeah. a horrible yeah. side too. There's a horrible side to that too. Look at what the Eagles did to country music. Oh and God. to music You're in general. Fan of country yeah. music. Basically all country music is now at a national <laughs> people who are emulating the Eagles. Ooh. It's like they weren't fans of like, like, you know, Ferlin Husky or, or uh, Merle Haggard or George Jones or these guys. They were fans of the Eagles. They didn't, their country music knowledge doesn't go any farther than them, you know? So it's like, well, that's, and that's because country music was making a deal with the devil with them. And it's basically like, Hey, here's this popular band and they're approaching our perimeter here. Let's, let's give them this hug. And then yeah. pe people that like terrible rock and people that like terrible country will both love them. Yeah, exactly. That's true. It is totally true. You know what I mean? It's like, People whose IQs are only slightly bigger than their shoe size, shoe size will love. It. Yeah. To put a finer point on it, yes. Yes, yes. Just to be sure, modern country sucks. I'm going on record. I'm sorry. Because I'm a big fan of country, like real country music. I've always loved it. Like, Morty, you know, we yeah. Yeah. And we're talking pop country there, Morty. Just ooh, her, uh, Joe. Just like we're talking pop, you know, rock yeah. or pop music in general. It's it's way separate yeah. from. Yeah, its original identity. It's yeah, exactly. Yeah, for me, it was all Hank Williams, and it was you know, it was Willie Nelson, and people like that. Still is. Well, there's far more like Garth Brooks, Tim McGraw influences in modern country music um, yeah. than there is Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard. For sure. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Thursday was just the warm up. Now is the time to get ready for Sunday's full slate of action, and there's no better place to get in the game than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add to this week's excitement, DraftKings Sportsbook is rolling out a can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the app now, app store now because you don't want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users a chance to turn $1 into $100 when they bet on any team. That's right. When you place $1 bet on any team, and if that team wins, the cash pool, you, you, you cash a cool Benjamin. How could you pass up on that, Pat? Uh, I won't. <laughs> if you're new to DraftKings Sportsbook, head now to the app and scout up the latest offers. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app, and now and use, the, use the code MHS when you sign up and, and get to use this can't-miss offer. Pick any team during week one, bet $1 on them, and win $100 if they – and you will win $100 if they win. Bet $1 on them and win $100 if they win. That's $1 to win $100 when you use draft, the promo code MHS during the sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Eligibility restrictions reply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay. Now, uh, you may notice that my voice sounds a little bit different uh, right now. It's because that uh, suddenly my... <laughs> Suddenly, my audio just decided to quit, so we're, we're improvising now. Now, we're, we're zigging and zagging. Um, gentlemen, we've, we're, we're reaching the point now where maybe it's we've determined that rock isn't dead, 
but it is just kind of moved into um, as there's a vice article that I read on this, that uh, Magnus sent me, maybe it just moved into a niche uh, point where uh, it was always destined to be, you know, uh, do you guys all believe that that is where the inevitable place of rock music is, or do you think it's evolved? I mean, uh, we'll start with you, Pat. I mean, I think I've been saying all along, I think that the music sort of, uh, the entire concept of music has evolved. I think rock still has a place in it. I think there's still a lot of people who love rock music. Uh, there's still songs being written about going to rock shows that are performed at rock shows. And um, I, for one, am like very content with the, the sort of like, of, of ubiquity of, of rock in my world. Um, there's a crossover of people that I run into, you know, casually over the course of my day throughout my life. Not, maybe not as much, but uh, you know, there's, there's still like a robust community of it. There's still new material coming out all the time. You know, I, I still have three, four five albums every year that I fall in love with and that become a part of my regular, um, you know, listening and, and seeking out live shows and, and deep, internet content of and all that so that's why I just yeah I think um all of that is true that you know I also there's band, bands that still put out albums that I like and, and enjoy and love to see live but I think it is moving to a niche thing it'll be interesting to see you know once the uh, our parents generation has passed how many people will listen to the Beatles, Led Zeppelin you know, I think uh, that might be a generational thing. And once our generation has passed, will anyone be listening to U2 or ACDC? I don't know. It might be th these these forms of music might die with their uh, respective generations. I think, you know, pegging it to jazz, it's hard to see. There is live jazz, of course, but it's hard to see jazz, recorded jazz as anything but almost an academic pursuit. And um, and I would almost rather not see rock uh, end that way. Yeah. <laughs> I would almost rather just kind of go away with when the people who love it die out than see it become an academic or super niche or cultural curiosity the way jazz is. Well, you know, uh, Magnus, I was just thinking about this. Uh, you and I both enjoyed, like, uh, actually, I, haven't asked, I don't know if I asked you your opinion on it. Did you like the new Smashing Pumpkins song? Yeah, I love it. I enjoyed it as well. There was a visceral bad reaction to that song that I saw. Um, people not liking the approach that they were taking. I thought it was perfectly Smashing Pumpkins to me. Um, they're, they're going in kind of a post, you know, new wavy kind of sound to it, but it, it sounded great to me. Um, well, did you... Did right. you but, yeah, no, it's fine. And, and, you know, in the past, you might have seen that reaction, too, but there was no Twitter when the Smashing Pumpkins album, first albums came out. You know? <laughs> yeah, true. It's when very everyone's true. a critic, everyone's critical. This is yeah. true. Yeah. Joe, what, um, how, how will you weigh in on this whole uh, this thing? Rock and roll will always live because I won't die. What it is. And that's the most rock and roll thing you could say. Exactly. <laughs> and ultimately, it really only matters that it's alive to me when it really comes down to it. I'm kind of one of those people. It's like, what the hell with the rest of the world? What do I think? Um, but I'm going to have giant statues made of all the great guitar heroes. Huge ones. Like ones that, like, next the next civilization that comes along after, you know, whatever apocalypse we're about to have, um, they'll, they'll be. Who is that guy? Yeah, who is that guy holding that strange device in his hand that's 800 feet tall? And they're like, it says on the pedestal, his name is Jimmy Page? Who, who is that? You know, that's, that's what I intend to dedicate my rest of my life to. Yeah. Joe, what's that man moving across the stage? It looks, looks a lot like, like Jimmy Page. Yes, exactly. Like, like from a different... Poetry. Age. Exactly. Um, Paul McCartney. Yes. You, you love him. And, and I, I've come to the point where I have trying to decide, and maybe you guys can weigh on this before we have to go. I've come to decide whether my love of a certain genre of music or what, basically liking what I like 
is based in a genuine like or based in nostalgia or based in my comfort zone. And a lot of exploring new music is getting out of that comfort zone. And do you, do you guys feel, I'll start with Jujo, do you feel that there is a comfort zone aspect to what you like? And do you feel that the last days of you risking uh, listening to something are gone uh, in, in a sense that you're not going to jump right out of whatever your, um, you know, kaleidoscope of things that you listen to already? Yeah, and I'm always hearing new things, so that'll never end. So nostalgia plays a part, you know, uh, excitement about new things. It's all, it's all, it's all part and parcel. You know, it's all part of the experience. Yeah. How about you, Pat? Yeah, I mean, I generally agree with that. I think that, um, you know, we're all formed by the music we're around when we're young. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the difference between, like, guys I knew that had older brothers uh, who introduced them to all these, like, 80s hair bands and, like, these Motley Crues and things like that, that totally passed me by by the time I was listening to music that was, like, passe. And so mm -hmm. my influence was far more in the, in the music that was going on, you know, in those formative years that I talked about earlier. And as a result, everything that I listened to since is kind of, been an extension of that path and it's gone off in offshoots at times and you know having various friends or relationships or whatever where you start finding commonality in music that you wouldn't have been naturally exposed to on the path that you're sort of set off on um, yeah. but you know unless you become like a, a, a sort of academic about music and really like make it a point to ex to explore those you know far remove genres and artists and things like that, that, you know, you, like Joe was saying, you have to be, or more than you were saying, you have to be a little uncomfortable to pursue. Then I think that you're always going to, you know, be on uh, a path in your musical journey that is based upon the, the time when you fell in love with music. Yeah. And you'll be searching for that sort of feeling again. And if you're lucky, you'll continue to find it. I, I feel like I have. Uh, you know, some of my favorite yeah. music is more, is more recent, but I still listen to the albums that I loved in 1994, you know, not mm -hmm. infrequently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Magnus, what do you think? I don't know. I, I like to think it's not just nostalgia. You know, the things that we loved when we were young, some of them were terrible and we don't like them anymore. So yeah, exactly. There were, there were yeah. songs I loved when I was 10 that I look on them now and I'm like, that was terrible. I <laughs> yeah. Didn't know any better. On the yeah. other hand, there are albums I love then that I still love. So hopefully, and I think we all probably like to think this about ourselves, the stuff that we liked when we were young, if it had value, if it had quality, mm -hmm. uh, then you'll still like it. Then there'll be still things to appreciate it as you grow older. The things oh, yeah. that have more surface um, attachment or surface attraction will fade as we mature, you know. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I think that's why I still love you uh, too, but not... <sighs> you know, pick some random 80s crap band that I'm sure I liked when it was on the radio. <laughs> You're not you a Man Without Hats fan anymore, for instance. What's that? You're not a big Man Without Hats fan anymore, for instance. Good example. Good example. Yeah. Kajagugu. Yeah. Kajagugu, um, yeah. <laughs> that? Yeah, exactly. It, it, I was thinking, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of bands that I don't listen to anymore. Um, and maybe you grow out of them, but there's a lot of bands that stay with you and from a certain time period in your life that you never can yeah. never get rid of. Looks like you too, even though I I don't appreciate you two as much as I used to, I still hold them dear and I'll never get rid of that. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with a time in your life. And once again I come back to the same thing that I've been talking about on these podcasts is that I think of Joe, I think of Ma uh, Magnus, I think of uh, Pat. Every single time I hear a certain song, it, it brings up something in my brain. And I'm yeah. wondering, once you reach a certain point in your life, does it just, is it, is it just memory function? Is it just, I think of where I was and who, this, who I used to listen to this song with when I hear this song, you know? <laughs> you know oh, yeah. I, I yeah. And I think that that's, uh, that's probably 
one of the reasons rock as we knew it is not around anymore because it's firmly in the nostalgia area. It's probably evolved. Mm. And, and it's generation. Yeah. You know, because like kids now, like we were talking earlier, have access to everything whenever they want it right now. It, you don't tend to have a nostalgic quality when that's part of your life, you know? Yeah. I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong. No, you're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. Um, all right. Well, guys, uh, thank you for putting up with the technical difficulties. Uh, we will come back next week with a different subject. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of uh, uh, cheers to everyone. Cheers. Oh, cheers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Joe, I can't see you, but uh, cheers. Cheers, um, yeah. I'm holding up a big glass of something. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. Um, we will be back uh, next week with a different subject. Uh, this is going to be a, a weekly thing, and I hope everyone enjoys this. Uh, I believe uh, uh, I believe Magnus and I uh, will probably have to go into um, something Jimmy Page related. I, I'm just I'm just thinking that in the future. Say that again, Joe. You also have to refer to him by his first name as if you were like really good friends with him. You guys have to do that. It's really funny. We will constantly uh, refer to him as Jimmy. And we'll do much more than that. Uh, we, we really appreciate everyone tuning into this. The U2 episode uh, with uh, Magnus and Pat was one of the most downloaded episodes of this podcast. So I appreciate everyone listening to that. And I'm hoping that this will achieve the same heights. Probably not, but we—you never know. So, thank you all for joining us, uh, and.